Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John. Uh, we've been spending a number of weeks, uh, the last several months, in 1 John, and we're there again today in 1 John chapter 3 as we look at the, the mark of a Christian. Um, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about contrasts, uh, the contrasts that John uses. He's a, he's a good, effective teacher, and he uses a lot of contrasts. Um, my mom was a nurse, but she was a teacher at heart, and she used to love to teach all of our kids contrasts. Uh, she would talk about big and small and fast and slow and uh, boy and girl, up and down. Um, she started when they were like maybe one month old. Um, I, that, that's an exaggeration, but uh, she, was, she loved to teach our kids. She loved to teach her grandkids. Um, she would talk about winners and losers, which I think why all of our kids are competitive. So, uh, But throughout 1 John, and this is on your outline, the apostle draws our attention to various contrasts to teach spiritual truth. So you've got them on, on your outline. Walk in darkness or walk in light. Uh, say we have no sin or confess our sin. Keep God's commands or do not keep God's commands. Uh, those who love the world, those who love the Father they and us, antichrist and Christ, to deny Christ or to confess Christ, uh, being confident at Christ's coming or being ashamed at Christ's coming, those who commit sin, those who do what is right, children of the devil, children of God, uh, one who hates his brother, the one who loves his brother. So if we had to come up with an overall theme for what we've looked at up through the end of last week, from the beginning of 1 John through 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, it would be that God is light. And so if we were to come up with something like a title starting at what we're looking at today through the end of the letter, it would be that God is love. It's on your outline. Uh, because God is love, Christians should love everyone, but we should especially love each other. And this is what John says uh, here, but it's also what Paul says in Galatians 6. He says, uh, do good to all people, <clears throat> especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And of course, you can remember that Jesus teaches this a lot, that we're loving each other is the best way to be a, a witness to the world. And we might say, well, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Um, I, my life is, I want my life to be identified with his. Uh, however, one of the first proofs of that is our love for other people, our love for each other especially. Jesus said in John 13, a passage that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, uh, that by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So he's telling us we've got to love each other and we've got to show it. Uh, John begins this passage by saying that hating your brother is like murdering him. And John gives us the example of Cain murdering his brother Abel. And the context is that John is inviting us to examine how genuine our love is for, for other people. So that's something that we can all think about as we go through these verses. How is my love? How do I show my love? What's the evidence of me showing my love to the people around me? So let's read our passage, 1 John 3, beginning at verse 11. 
For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and truth. This is God's word. So the first part of this mark of a believer that John talks about, number one on your outline, is that we love one another and not follow the example of Cain. Uh, A reminder of verse 10 that we ended with last week. Verse 10 says, this is how we know, you can follow along in your Bible, who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So verse 11 flows out of that verse. And from verse 10, we see Cain is an example of one of the children of the devil who does not do what is right and is not God's child. So verse 11, again, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. So once someone is born of God, once someone is a part of God's family, they will do what is right because the Holy Spirit lives in them to guide their lives. And that includes loving those who have the same spiritual DNA as us. Those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. In contrast to this, someone who is outside of the family of God, John calls them here children of the devil because they hate and even murder their spiritual siblings. So there's a very clear contrast again here between children of God and children of the devil or between those who love and those who hate. And for this example, John goes back to Genesis chapter four and the first recorded murder. And John then writes about Cain's murder of his brother Abel as well as talking about what's behind the act. So here's the contrast again. God delights in giving life And Satan delights as much in taking life away through hate and through murder. So in verses 11 to 13, we see through this negative example of Cain that love, and this is on your outline, the first bullet point, love is the heart of the gospel. John says he has a message for his readers that his message that his readers have heard since the beginning of their new life in Christ through the gospel. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning and the message in verse 11 that we should love each other. And this is a word that we've heard repeated over and again in the New Testament. 
Um, other than the references you already have on your outline, there are some other places and other people that, just a few examples, I could come up with a hundred examples, but Jesus says in John 15, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. Paul, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Peter, above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes we need to look over the sins of the people that we are uh, around for the sake of unity, not because they deserve it, not because we want to do it, but we just forgive them for the sake of the body. Um, the writer to the Hebrews, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. And this command to love is mentioned again in verse 23 of First John, um, of, of this chapter, and three times in, in chapter 4, and then again in Second John. Obviously, and this is on your outline, God thinks our loving one another is extremely important. You know, there was an MIT meteorologist, Edward Lorenz, who ran some experiments with some really unusual results. And what he discovered is that what seemed like a tiny and insignificant change in his data could produce huge differences in the final result. And he came up with the term the butterfly effect. And he presented a scientific paper, and the paper was titled, Predictability, Does the Flap of a Butterfly's Wings in Brazil Set Off a Tornado in Texas? And according to Lorenz's theory, and I quote, the butterfly's wing flapping doesn't actually cause a tornado, but it can start a chain reaction that leads to giant changes in worldwide weather patterns. In other words, even tiny insignificant movements or actions can produce huge changes that impact millions of people. And you know, I think the Bible is describing a butterfly effect when it talks about love in our spiritual lives. According to God's word, according to this spiritual butterfly effect, if you will, uh, when we do small things, it makes a huge impact. For example, making a meal for someone, visiting someone who's sick, befriending someone who's lonely, inviting somebody into your home for a meal or to spend the night as a guest, praying with someone. Those things might seem insignificant, but what God is saying is they make a huge difference in his eyes. They're really practical in helping us love each other. Ask a spouse if little things matter. Little things do matter. It makes a multi, and God will multiply the impact once we do something, once we're obedient to step out. Once we take a risk, maybe, to step out and do something loving for someone that's maybe unexpected, God will multiply that. But like we read in this passage, there's also a reverse a butterfly effect, consistently failing to display small acts of kindness. Living an unkind lifestyle, if you will, has a profound loss of opportunity in the spiritual realm. 
So in John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for a friend. John says that as believers, we're, we're all family and we're to love the people in our family and then loving people outside the family is a natural or supernatural outflow of God's love. God loved us while we were still sinners. And so we love the people around us, again, even though they don't deserve love. We love them because they need the Lord. I remember when I first became a Christian, it was the love of, 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 of some Christians that were around me that really uh, attracted me to, to, to the Lord Jesus and seeing their love for each other. If you don't feel loving towards someone, look at Romans 5.5. 5. It's on your outline. In fact, let's read this out loud. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you don't feel loving towards someone, if you're not a Christian, you just try hard to love them. But as a Christian, we have no excuse not to love people, even the people that we have a hard time loving because we have the love of God in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And we can call on that love and we can say, Lord, I can't love this person. I don't even like this person, but will you love them through me? I had a friend in, at, at uh, Wheaton in college who <clears throat> I remember him coming up to me and saying, Kenny, you got to pray for me to love this guy. His name was Clyde. He said, I just have such a hard time. Every time I get around him, he just irritates the heck out of me. And I don't like him. And so we would pray. And, and he was, and then this was a couple months later, he came up to me and said, Kenny, you'll never believe what happened today. And I said, what happened? He said, Clyde came up to me and he said, Kent, I think you're the only person on this campus who really loves me. And my friend was like, man, that was the Lord. That was not me. But you know what? That can be the experience of all of us when we have people that are hard to love. And the account of Cain here in Genesis 4 is a tragic one. And this is the only direct Old Testament quote in 1 John. Uh, by comparison, in, in the book of Hebrews, there are 85 Old Testament quotations. So this is the only one in 1 John. Cain killed his brother because he was angry at God for refusing his offering and jealous that Abel's offering was accepted by God. Abel's offering was accepted because it was offered in obedience and faith. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Cain wanted to worship God in, on his own terms, not on God's terms. And he did not follow the instructions of his father on how to offer a proper blood sacrifice. And Cain's offer was a bloodless sacrifice. Cain was not any different than people today who want to worship God on their own terms. And what I mean by that is sometimes we, for example, we read through the Bible and we read, man, this is really a hard saying of Jesus. This is a hard truth in the Bible. And we say, I don't like it. I'm not going to accept it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And this can be about a myriad of different things. And so, it's like we're crossing out some scripture. We're just accepting the scripture we like, not the, the scriptures that we don't like. 
It's like Mark Twain said, you know, I've learned that the, the thing that bothers me the most about scripture is not the verses I, I uh, don't understand, it's the verses I do understand. I'm having a hard time with just obeying some of those, but, but we're called to obey them. Or maybe we're focused on religious deeds. Maybe we're focused on, on we pick and choose what we, wanted, what we want to follow. And God says, no, it's not like that. We, we, we follow God no matter what he says in his word. We bring our minds in line with God's word, not God's word in line with what we think. And so are you worshiping God on his terms or are you worshiping God on your terms? Here's what it comes down to. Do you desire to be obedient to God? To follow him in obedience? To be up to date on your obedience to God? So this account of Cain underlines what Jesus taught in John 8.44. To the religious leaders, he said, you're of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there's no truth in him. Cain's father was Satan. He was the wicked one. And this phrase, wicked one, means one whose nature is evil or wicked and who causes pain and trouble for other people. And so that was the kind of wickedness. It's the kind of wickedness that wants to pull people down with them. And that was Cain. That's the nature of Satan. He wants to pull us down. Abel brought a sacrifice to God that was acceptable and righteous, like it says in verse 12. Cain's sacrifice was evil and unacceptable. Verse 12, look at verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So it was because of this that Cain hated Abel and murdered his own flesh and blood. To all of this, John says in verse 13, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Have you ever been misunderstood or ridiculed by the world, by non-Christian friends, because you're a Christ follower, because you're a Christian? It will happen. It does happen. It's natural for the world to hate us because their father, the devil, hates us. The devil can't get to God. It's impossible for him. But he can get to God's children. He can get to you and me. You know, if you want to get on my good side, do something for my kids. Every parent feels that way. If you want to get on my bad side, do something against my kids. Well, Satan's already on God's bad side because he's always doing something against us. And so Jesus said it like this in John 15, the world hates you. Remember, it hated me first. Since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. We shouldn't be surprised. So in verses 14 and 15, John says that love is not only the mark of a Christian, but also, and this is the next bullet point, love provides the assurance that we have eternal life. Loving others has a lot of benefits. And one of those is the evidence that we've been born again, that we have eternal life. John says in verse 14, we know that we have passed from spiritual death to eternal life because we continually love and don't stop loving our Christian family. That's what he's saying. And this is in contrast to anyone who does not love and who remains in death. 
Verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So I want to be clear that John is not saying that if you love someone, you can earn your way into heaven by loving others. He is saying that love is an evidence that we already have eternal life. We already have eternal life abiding in us. Every other religion, every philosophy says, in order to become what you want to be, you have to act like this. Christianity says, look at what Jesus has done for you. And as a result of that, you're a child of God. And that's the way you should live. As a child of God, you should live loving others. You should live in righteousness. You think, wait, me become righteous? How can I be righteous? Because God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. What an exchange. God gets our sin and we get his righteousness. That's not fair. That's the grace of God. That's what we are in as Christians. It's another way that we can have, we can know that we have eternal life. We can have that assurance. One application of this is understanding what the church is, that we are a part of the church. Think about that. We are a part of the church, universal. The church, we we have their believers, thousands, hundreds of thousands of believers meeting throughout California today, throughout the world, throughout the United States, around the world, believers like us meeting together to worship God around his word, around the, the, the singing of, of hymns and, 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 and spiritual songs for the glory of God. We're a part of something way bigger than us. But we're an important part. The local church is, is not a place we go to. You've got this on your outline. The church isn't something you go to. The church is who we are. You are the church. In the New Testament, it's obvious that the church was God's idea. The New Testament is really about the work of the church that Jesus initiated, that he ordained. And yes, the church is made up of imperfect people. I'm imperfect. You all, we all, we are all imperfect. But instead of depressing us, this should cause us to marvel at God's incredible grace that God would use ordinary, broken humans as vessels of his grace. That's pretty awe-inspiring. It's like, wow, God, you do that? Thank you for using me. Ephesians 3 says God's purpose was to use the church to display his wisdom. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you you have an ideal view of the church, just read 1 Corinthians. And that was a messed up church. But thankfully, Paul wrote a letter to them that first, a couple letters to them, probably three actually, that one's lost, but we've got two that, that make it clear what we should do in a lot of circumstances because they were so messed up. And so in the New Testament, 
we see the spreading of the gospel in spite of the weaknesses of man, in spite of the obstacles of Jesus' followers. And what the church does is give us a front row seat to the grace of God. And I think we have that more than most churches as we see the gospel spread through our missionaries all around the world. Man, what a front row seat. What an incredible thing to have this front row seat to the grace of God. Again, verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And what John is saying here is just what Jesus said before in the Sermon on the Mount. It's no different. I remember thinking, you know, you read through the commandments, you think, wow, number six, that's a good one. Do not murder. I've never done that. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Wow. I'm in trouble. We're all in trouble. We've sinned. You know, there was a a visitor to the San Diego Zoo who was talking to the guy in charge of the big cats. And uh, he said, you know, these are, seem to be just like my cats at home. They just lay around. They're so beautiful. They look like them, just a little bigger. It's such a shame that you have to put these beautiful creatures behind bars. And the, (laughs) the guy in charge of the lions just laughed. And he said, Well, you know, they may look like your cat, but their disposition is radically different. They have murder in their hearts. And you better be glad those bars are between you and that cat. One commentator put it like this. He said, the only reason some people have never actually murdered anyone is because of the bars that have been put up, the fear of arrest and shame, the penalties of the law, and the possibility of death. The question is not so much, what did you do? But what did you want to do? What would you have done if you had been at liberty to do as you pleased? You know, we probably all had a thought go past our mind. I'd love to kill that person. But that's hate. And hate is the same as that desire to kill. That's where it starts. And that's why Jesus equates hatred with murder. The second part, of this passage, the second mark, if you will, second part of the mark of the believer, number two on your outline is that we're to serve one another and follow the example of of Jesus. We don't follow the example of Cain, number one. We do follow the example of Jesus. We live in a fallen and broken world. We've said that. It's no wonder that the world gets confused about what love is. We're not going to go into the Greek at all, but, you know, and and we, we say we love ice cream, but we love our spouse and and everything in between. So in the Greek, they have four different words for love. So it's a little bit better in Greek uh, and a little bit more specific. But the Bible tells us what love actually is. So real love, God's love, is something that we prove by how we act, by what we do, not just something that we say. So we see love expressed and given and received in the garden with Adam and Eve. Um, And up to the time of the fall in Genesis 3, and that's when Adam and Eve sinned, and everything went terribly wrong. And it wasn't long after that, in fact, the next chapter, where Cain kills his brother Abel. And it's only gotten worse. So this shouldn't surprise us, because 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, 
the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Satan is the God of this world. And the God of this world, Peter tells us, is prowling about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants to destroy you. Excuse me. And that's why we have to wear the armor of God. That's why we have to put it on. It's in Ephesians 6. But we we need to know the armor of God. We need to wear it. What's, What's our offensive weapon? It's the word of God, which is why we give priority to the preaching of the word of God every Sunday. Why it's so important for you to be, we have this meal together on Sunday morning spiritually, but why you need to be in the word on your own during the week. You can't do it by just one day a week. So we talked in the beginning about contrast. Here's another one. Satan, he knows everything. Excuse me. Satan knows everything about you. He knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. He wants you to identify yourself by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name because he loves you. I ran across something that someone wrote who used to live in Florida. I I love, I'm sure Florida's great. I know Florida. We have some Floridians here, but I'm partial to San Diego. But here's what this person wrote. When we first moved to St. Petersburg, we'd go to the beach all the time. But it was hard to relax and have a good time with our children because there were too many threats. Jellyfish, stingrays, sharks, undertow. Eh, We have some of those things here. Okay, I know. So one time we had some relatives that came to visit and brought their boat with them. We decided to go out to an island a couple miles offshore. We had a great time because we didn't think we had anything to worry about, none of the normal threats. The water was blue. The sand was white. We swam with our children carefree in the Gulf of Mexico. A few days later, I was telling a friend of mine about a wonderful day, and they know the area much better than I did, and he informed us that we had been in one of the most shark-infested areas around. We were in danger but completely oblivious to it. And I feel like sometimes that's the way we as Christians live our lives in the world. Our lives are in danger. Every day Satan is trying to attack us and destroy us, and we're oblivious to it. We have to be aware that we are in a spiritual battle. Jesus laid down his life for us, verse 16. So the next bullet point is that service to others may mean dying. In other words, when we willingly sacrifice our time, our lives, our money, our resources, when we comfort someone, when we share the gospel with a friend, whatever we do is an act of kindness and generosity. Any act of kindness and generosity. All of those things are an example of laying down our lives for someone. All of those things have a profound impact on the relationships in the community. So verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Here's what love is. You want to know what love is? This is it. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So we all know John 3.16. So here's 1 John 3.16. And one commentator wrote this on the comparison between John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. Many have noticed the beautiful relationship that exists between these two.
two verses. The former is a demonstration of love. God so loved the world that he sent his son. The latter is an explanation of love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John 3.16 says that God gave his son for us. 1 John 3.16 says we should give ourselves for others. And then the quote from this commentator ended with this. The Bible says, if you want to see love, look at the cross. If you want to show love, look at the cross. If you want to know love, look at the cross. And if you want to live a life of love, look at the cross. Our king died on our behalf. Think about that. Our king died on our behalf, on your behalf. And if we just take this in and think about it a little bit, that that's what happened in our only reasonable reaction is to joyfully present ourselves before God as a living sacrifice. And we say, God, use me. God, help me to learn to love you more. Help me to be obedient to you. We could say that the first law of physical life is self-preservation. And the first law of spiritual life is self-sacrifice. Jesus said it like this in John 15. Again, no one has greater love than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. I read recently about a Chinese man many years ago who was so saddened because many of his compatriots, many of his friends were being sold or selling themselves into slavery to go and work in gold mine fields in South Africa. This guy was so heartbroken for that situation. He decided to sell himself into slavery so that he could go and minister to his compatriots. And he did that, and he ended up dying in slavery, but not before, by one account, he was able to lead over 200 of his Chinese uh, compatriots to Christ. There's somebody who gave his life, literally. So you, you may not give your life or sell your life into slavery, but how about taking a risk for the Lord? How about doing something that moves you out of your comfort zone and, and sharing Christ with a coworker or a neighbor or a friend or a family member. That's maybe where it's hardest with our own family. You know, you can just ask them a question like, where are you at on your spiritual journey? I'm on a real interesting journey. And then you can share your testimony with them. But in the context of loving them and reaching out to them, spending time listening to others, this is what our attitude should be. I, I saw... Uh, an explanation of an ancient coin that had an ox on it and the ox was standing between a plow and an altar and on the other side of the coin it said ready for either I'm ready to to be a plow to plow up ground to be used by, by God or I'm ready to go on the altar and die that should be our attitude and if we're willing to die how about being willing to just walk across the street and share Christ or walk across the room and, and share the Lord with someone. So as John continues to define love in verses 17 and 18, he says that service, and this is the next bullet point, 
Service to others always involves giving. It sounds so honorable to say that we die for someone. <clears throat> Frankly, what a lot of people need is just some, something to eat maybe sometime or some money for food or gas or a, a hotel room or whatever. You know, I'm not sure who came up with the saying, talk is cheap, but uh, that's what he's saying here. Actions, same, another saying, actions speak louder than words. In verses 17 and 18, John gets down to where the rubber meets the road, gives us some practical and real advice about love in the context of everyday living. He introduces a greater to lesser argument. So verse 16 is the greater. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then the lesser is in verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So in other words, Jesus gave his life for us. That's the greater. At least we can give our stuff, our material goods. That's what he's talking about, helping people out materially to others. And we do that. You know what? We have a benevolence fund. Many of you have given generously to the benevolence fund, and we help people every week here because of your generosity. So you're already doing it on one level, but we can do it personally as well. So Jesus saw your need and he gave you his life. He became sin so we could become his righteousness. And so therefore, because Jesus did that, when we see our brother in need, we want to do anything we can to meet that need. We reach out to them. We do something to help someone. So if you close your eyes, it's closing your heart. A closed heart leads to closed eyes, leads to doing nothing. Jesus' brother James said it like this, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. And then John concludes in verse 18, Dear children, let us not love with word or speech, but with actions and in truth. In other words, little children, don't just say you love one another, but show it by your actions. Love is way more than just saying the right words. Love is an action that has good deeds and that is done in the context of truth. Our words can be hypocritical and our motives can be bad. God cares about both. And so you have this on your outline. God wants us to do the right thing for the right reasons. That's why actions and truth both matter. God wants us to love and care for others just like we've been loved and cared for by him. And again, if you want to know what's, what to do, look at the cross. I just want to end with this. Max Lucado, I think most of us know that name. He's an author, pastor. <clears throat> he was asked the best example of love. And here's what he wrote. He said, the best example of love that I can think of occurred at the death of my own father. I remember a lady who was a distant relative of our family. She drove six hours to get to the funeral. Before the funeral, she walked in the house and went immediately into the kitchen and began washing dishes. I didn't even know she was there. She straightened up everything and helped prepare the meal. She came to the funeral, and after the funeral, she came back to our house again and did the dishes again, and then got in her car and drove home. As far as I know, she never said a word, definitely didn't say anything to me. 
She never introduced herself, but when I looked around the house, I realized love had been in our house. So when we walk in a house, we can say, man, what can I do to show love? Practically, maybe it's doing the dishes. Whatever it is, do it. What an example, though, of a living message lived out in the life of this relative. And one of the great challenges of every Christian is to be a living message, to act and talk and live and and behave just like Jesus did. So we always need to have our hearts and minds in ministry mode. Let your light so shine before, before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So John Stott, in his commentary on the letters of 1 John, gave the best, most simple and clear summary of the verses we've looked at today. You've got them on your, on your outline. Hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. So let's just not talk about love. Let's do something.